I was I was joking with Lizzie earlier because uh, this message that I'm going to preach this morning, I was planning on preaching it for the last two weeks, and both weeks, for one reason or another, it didn't work out. And I said, you know, if this week it doesn't work out, I really just need to scrap it because I think that's a sign <laughs> that it's uh, it's not it's not to be done. But uh, so far, so good. So if I don't get struck down, uh, you can take this message as uh, something that the Lord has given me. Uh, obviously, just joking. It's it's from His Word. We're going to be in. Uh, the book of Lamentations, chapter number three this morning. And I had intended this as sort of a, a New Year's message. And uh, it's we're a couple weeks into the New Year, so it's, it's still new, relatively speaking. And uh, I spent at least a week of that just at home doing nothing. So I feel like it's, it's even closer to the New Year for me now that I'm out and about. And uh, so anyways, Lamentations three, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 27 this morning. And uh, as you're turning there and before we get into it, uh, I was thinking a couple weeks ago as I was preparing this of the uh, the Christmas carol, Deck the Halls, and uh, one of the verses says, Fast away the old year passes, and hail the new ye lads and lasses. And uh, that has come uh, true once again. The The old year has, has come and gone, and uh, rather quickly, depending on, on your perspective, and the new is here yet again. We're having to learn how to, to write the new date and not mess that up. I've already done that several times as we change that one to two. And uh, with it, new things come. And uh, what a year it has been. And I'm sure as with any year, you've experienced both the ups and the downs of life. You've either experienced hopes that have been realized or maybe things that have been delayed yet again. And all of the common experiences of time uh, just passing by. That's that's part of being a human, isn't it? And uh, I'm certainly learning, as as many older and wiser people have, have told me time and time again, that the longer you live, the faster the years pass. And that's certainly true. Uh, it's even more true when you have children. Uh, looking at photographs of, of our children from just a year ago tells you kind of vividly that time really does move on. And a lot happens in a year, even though it feels like such a short period. Well, this morning I have to ask you to be honest. Um, many people in a new year will 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 take on new year resolutions. Um, I don't have a problem with that. There's there's a sense of newness. There's a, there is kind of a sense of reset, a uh, sense of starting over that comes with the new year. And uh, many people do well starting a new tradition or a new habit or a new a new frame of mind on January 1st. And and even actually the, the Puritan Jonathan Edwards had written as many as 70 resolutions to aid his own growth. And he, he shared those in, in one of his books to young ministers. But I'll ask this morning, how many of you made, you don't have to call it a resolution, but how many of you made a plan or had set out to make a, an adjustment in your life in 2021 that just didn't pan out? I'll have to raise my hand that I made plans, that again, I may won't call it resolutions, but things that I planned to do or planned to learn or planned to accomplish that just didn't pan out. It's true for me on several fronts. And uh, we make goals all the time. They don't have to just be New Year resolutions, and they're, they're good. Uh, we make goals for health. We make reading goals. We make uh, learning goals. We make traveling goals. We make goals for our family. Um, Many times those goals are met or exceeded, but often, often they are missed. And uh, sometimes that's disappointing and frustrating. And then you have years like 2020 and 2021. 
uh, years that, at least in recent history, sort of change our whole outlook of life to some extent. Um, they've certainly changed the entire uh, social outlook. They've changed the economical outlook. They changed political outlooks, and they've certainly changed the health structures of our lives. We've we've had many weeks of, you know, for instance, many weeks of not meeting together as a church in the past. We've had to learn the concept of of things like Zoom meetings. For many of us, those are new uh, online gatherings. We've we've had to learn what social distancing is. We've had a, a new kind of communion elements, the prepackaged ones that we're still kind of using up. Um, we've, we canceled on a personal front, no doubt you canceled many plans, many, uh, many traditions. And all these decisions were made, at least in the most part, in a good conscience, but they were big changes. Um, just looking back over the last couple of years, I would say politically, at least in my lifetime, we've seen more unrest than we have in many recent years. Uh, we saw the changing of presidents that for both sides didn't come without controversy. Uh, both sides sort of accused the, the other's candidate of being, well, woefully unqualified and in danger of ruining the nation. We had cities that underwent a lot of turmoil, uh, fires and, and, uh, and lootings and riots. We've had, we've had lives uh, taken at the hands of law enforcement that, that perhaps shouldn't, and we've had lives of, of officials and law enforcement taken that, that shouldn't have been. We've had monumental court cases in our nation that have sort of shaped the way that we view certain things. We've seen people left in distant countries. Uh, we've seen Christians and missionaries that have been kidnapped and killed. We've seen uh, other things, and particularly we've seen things like the marching forward and the normalization and praise of things like abortion. We've seen a lot, haven't we, in the last couple of years. On a health front, of course, what started uh, in April and Mar or March and April of 2020 as a, a couple weeks to avoid a spike in cases of COVID. And we've seen that virus change and morph and alter and, and spread and continue to spread. And though now, thankfully, most of the cases are very mild, they're in no way disappearing. And, uh, and many have lost loved ones to that virus. And if not loss of life, uh, most people have seen significant change and some tragic changes, loss of careers, loss of businesses, uh, students have suffered in education. Uh, some families haven't even seen each other much at all for the last two years. And there's always the constant struggle that we all know of knowing what is truly the best thing to do in any situation. We're constantly balancing values in our minds. Needless to say, the last couple years really have been in one sense a big blur, but in another sense, They've been years for the history books, and, uh, and we have lived them. And it's interesting because when you're living in experiences of history, you typically don't think about that on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, when you read of, of monumental times or big occurrences in, in your school textbooks, you often forget that there were millions and, and billions of people, individuals like you and me, who had to make decisions every day. They had to process what was going on. They had, to, they had to pray, they had to trust, and they had to live through those days. And uh, I don't intend to be in a down mood this morning. In fact, I'm not. I'm, I'm happy to be here because among all that grief and pain, there have been wonderful things. Even, even within our church, uh, we've seen new faces in church. We've, we've seen marriage take place. We've seen children born. We've seen uh, provision for financial needs. We've We've seen physical healing and answers to prayer. 
And if we were to branch out and count our individual blessings, uh, we would need a whole service just dedicated to that. Perhaps we should do that sometime. Uh, this morning, though, I want to bring something before us that's its not a New Year's resolution, and it's also not a doom and gloom message. I, I want to kind of set something before us to serve as maybe a, a little bit of a theme for our year and uh, maybe a touchstone that we can refer back to when we get to the end of the year and see what God has done. And that theme is the unwavering love, the unending mercy, and the undying faithfulness of God. And again, as I said, our text for this morning comes from Lamentations 3. And uh, before we read, I want to give just a little bit of a background to what's going on in this book. Uh, Lamentations is believed by most to be written by the prophet Jeremiah. And uh, you've probably heard this term, but Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet. And one of the main reasons for that is it was his calling and his lot in life to preach to a people who would never listen to the warnings that he would give. And uh, they would never listen to the teaching that God gave through him. Now, certainly a few did, I'm no doubt there, but for the most part, it seems his warnings were ignored. And the ultimate warning, sort of the big warning, was that the people of Judah would be carried away and the land conquered and destroyed. And historically speaking, that very thing happened. The, the promise came true. Uh, culminating in, in around 586 BC, during Jeremiah's lifetime, uh, the Babylonian captivity of Judah took place. And it was a time of brutality and destruction for Judah. It included the destruction of the city, uh, the carrying away of most of the people, and most importantly, probably for the Jewish mind, was the destruction of Solomon's temple. And this is the setting for the book of Lamentations. It comes after Jeremiah, uh, not just in your Bible, but, but uh, chronologically speaking. Lamentations as a book is sort of a literature that comes to terms with judgment. Uh, from the very title of the book, you see it, the, to lament. Uh, there is woe, there is grief. But there is also recognition on the part of, of Jeremiah, if he wrote this, that yes, this is what we, speaking collectively, deserve. So yes, the people of Judah deserved this judgment that was promised. But at the same time, the book of Lamentations recognizes that even though it's deserved, it's still difficult, and it's still unbelievably challenging. Just because you earned it doesn't mean it's easy or that you can just brush it off. And there are many lessons for us in Lamentations, and that is one of them. It's that in difficult and tumultuous times, we can recognize both of those truths. Yes, this is what collectively our world has sort of brought upon ourselves because of wickedness, but it's still okay to recognize that it's hard, that it's difficult. Other lessons that we learn in Lamentations are things like the fact that God keeps his promises, and that's true in both positive and negative ways, isn't it? He promised and he kept the promise that there would be a time of judgment for Judah, but also he would keep the big picture promise that to Israel that depended on their restoration, promises like all the world would eventually be blessed through their seed. In Lamentations, we see the sovereignty of God working through things like 
wicked nations, Babylon, for instance, to accomplish his purposes. But right in the middle of the book, in our text for today, which is no doubt the most familiar portion of Lamentations, we see sort of the gem of the whole, uh, the whole literature of Lamentations, and that is the gem of God's faithfulness. Now, uh, a little more information that's kind of necessary to understand how the book is structured. Lamentations is an acrostic. It's a, a Hebrew acrostic. If you, if you start in chapter 1, verse number 1, and you were to read it in the original language, each subsequent verse starts with the next uh, letter of the alphabet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and you'll notice in your scripture that chapter 1 has 22 verses. Chapter 2 has 22 verses. Chapter 4 has 22 verses, and chapter 5 has 22 verses. Um, and the interesting thing is chapter 3, the, the central portion, has 66 verses or lines. And uh, so what we find in chapter 3 is that each letter of the alphabet gets three lines, essentially. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to skip down some. If you count 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, we're going to pick up in 19, uh, which will be the beginning section of that little triplet there. And uh, so that's, that's interesting to remember. Um, Jeremiah in this book was displaying an incredible picture. And if you look at how, even though you read through the, the words of, the, the, of Lamentations, and honestly, they're severe. There's a lot of mourning. There's a lot of destruction. Yet even within that, the way it's ordered sort of shows us a picture of that order, even within the chaos. Again, much of the book is mourning and woe, but behind it all, there's a purpose. There's something structured. There's something designed to show that there, there is meaning within that chaos. Well, enough, enough speaking about the book. Let's jump into it, and let's begin reading in verse number 19. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who waits, or to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. We'll stop there. That'll be our text for this morning. And within this, this morning and woe, here is the, the gem of God's faithfulness, of his mercy and his steadfast love. So as the big picture for today and really for the rest of our year as we think together, let us see this. Stake your past, present, and future on the unwavering love, the unending mercy, and the undying faithfulness of the Lord. And uh, as we mentioned a minute ago, as this acrostic comes to us in, uh, in triplets or sets of three verses, that'll be our structure over these nine verses. So that you'll, you'll see in each set of three, there's a little bit of a theme as Jeremiah recounts these truths. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into them. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for 
for giving us these truths. Thank you for, for books like Lamentations that understand and admit that, yes, things are difficult. Uh, tragedies are difficult, whether they're earned by us or whether we just experience them uh, by proxy of being a human, Lord, they are difficult. But within those things, there is meaning. And your faithfulness, Lord, still shines through. So help us to see that this morning. Uh, help us to take this sort of as a fresh vision for what happens in our lives, both the good and what we perceive as bad as well. And help us to cast all of our existence and set, uh, stake our, our past, present, and future on you and your faithfulness, Lord. Give us, give us eyes to see and, and minds to understand the scripture and may the Holy Spirit illuminate it to us and would you teach us, God, and we'll be obedient to listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, firstly, we see, as we go back to verses 19 through 21, uh, we see what we remember, what we remember. And uh, if you look at verse 19, 20, and 21, in English, it's a little bit difficult to see this, but in, in Hebrew, each one of these verses starts not only with the same letter, but verse 19 starts with the word remember. Verse 20 starts with the word remember, and verse 21 starts with a different word, but it's a similar meaning to, to call to mind. And uh, what we remember is often out of our control. If you scan through the book of Lamentations, you will see much of it is devoted to the vivid image in Jeremiah's mind of the chaos and destruction that took place. Our memories really aren't things that we choose necessarily. It's, it's just the pictures of what we've experienced. And for us, uh, often our memories are most vivid of the things that we would like to forget. Oftentimes, our memories that are most vivid are memories of mistakes we have made, memories of tragedies that have ensued, memories of arguments with, with family members or spouses, memories of how we've mistreated or have been mistreated. Uh, we remember things, and we're designed to do so. Our all-knowing and all-wise God is a God who himself remembers things. But Jeremiah gets, gives this little section to that idea of, of what he remembers. And in verse 19, he speaks of uh, something very picturesque the wormwood and the gall. What is wormwood and gall? Well, wormwood is, is a bitter herb. It's, it's now commonly used in sort of bitter drinks. Uh, gall is, is more pungent, and uh, the word can refer to poison or even, uh, even the bile of the liver. Sorry, I had to even say that, but it's, it's a kind of, it's, it's a picturesque word. Either way, the image that we get is of bitterness. We remember the bitterness. Jeremiah says, uh, we remember the bitterness. We can sort of feel it. And using those bitter pictures, we can even taste it, so to speak. We know the dreadful experiences that we have gone through. It's, it's vivid in our mind. And as we go to verse 20, uh, Jeremiah says his soul continually remembers it. That strengthens the image a little bit. We ask the question, how does the, the soul remember? We don't typically think of the, the soul as an engine of memory or as a, an implement of memory. But 
the soul is not less than the mind remembering. Really, in some sense, it is more. Uh, the soul is, is sort of our whole inner being, our whole inner man. Going back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7, we read that the Lord God formed the man, or Adam, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his life, or breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. We see when God formed man out of the dust of the earth, he made him from the dust, from the common elements. Uh, in other words, our bodies are much like what is around us. In many ways, our bodies are, are like the animals that are around us. But what is different is this little picture of how God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the word for creature there, or living creature, is the word nefesh, which is the same word for soul that is used all throughout the Old Testament, including here in verse number 20. So in one sense, our soul, what God has breathed into us, is our life. It's what makes us unique. It is the way we are made in God's image, in a way that sets us apart from plants and animals. And, in, and this is what Jeremiah says, remembers the bitterness. The soul remembering is, is not just the recounting of, of facts. It's also the recounting of feelings, emotions, and desires. It's not just to remember something that happened, but it's, it's to be affected by it. And that's evidenced in what Jeremiah says because he says, my soul continually remembers it and it is bowed down within me. We might call that uh, a sense of depression, to be bowed low, to be brought low in the inner being. We might say it's to feel the weight of something even after it has happened. And we know this, even though we haven't experienced the destruction of our life and our homeland and our place of worship, we know this feeling from other tragedies, other losses, and other types of chaos in the world. We remember. Our soul remembers. We can feel it even after it's happened. Remember, verse 19, my, or my afflictions. Verse 20, my soul remembers it. But then verse 21 turns to sort of a, a different kind of remembering. Jeremiah says, this I call to mind. Now, to call to mind and to remember, we might uh, place those as synonyms, and they are in one sense. But there's something interesting going on here. There is a balance between what our, our soul remembers, feels, or responds to, which oftentimes, as I said a minute ago, is out of our control. So there's a balance between what our soul remembers and what we call to mind. Mind is different than soul, but it's not separate from it. It's part of it. There's a sense in which we can make a conscious choice to turn our minds to something, even when our soul is bowed down because of something else. Our soul can, can feel and remember experiences to be depressed and bowed low because of them, but our mind can still be turned to sort of meditate on that which gives us hope. This I call to mind, Jeremiah says, and therefore I have hope. A little bit of application before we read on. 
What is it that your soul remembers as we've now turned the corner into 2022? Is it wormwood and gall? Is it bitterness? Is it loss of life, loss of time? There is hope, loved one. Your soul can be brought low, but you can look to this hope. We see, secondly, not simply what we remember, but what we cherish. What we cherish. Verses 22 through 24 are the next triplet, the next set of three lines, and they, they, ne- they represent the next letter of the, the Hebrew alphabet, which is the letter het. And uh, we don't have any sounds like that in English, so sorry, it just sounded like I hacked up something. But um, the very first word we see in this section, in verse 22, is the word chesed. And uh, we have a, a chesed in the room with us now, a beautiful name that Scott and Lydia have chosen. And that's the same word here that we see in Jeremiah or in Lamentations 3, 22. And we read in verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Jeremiah is writing this. In other words, verse 21, he says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord. This I call to mind, chesed. There's a reason why he structures it like that. What is chesed? It's God's steadfast love. It's his faithful love. Uh, One of the most beautiful ways to describe it, it's kind of a complex word, but we see it all through scripture in the context of covenant faithfulness. That is, it's the absolute character of God to keep his promise, his word, and his love, even when it is delayed or put off in our experience by long periods of time or hardship or judgment. His kindness displayed to the undeserving. It's a loving kindness that never ceases. We could say that chesed is God's never giving up, uh, never relenting, never loosening his grip, love, so that uh, what it is that we turn our minds to when our soul is bound or is bowed low is God's faithful steadfast love, his unwavering love, his unwavering love. The wormwood and the gall, the bitterness is real. It's it's a real memory. Our soul truly feels it. But as we turn our minds to that love, that is no less real. And it's never fading, never going away. And Jeremiah goes on. We read on in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Uh, You might have a different translation. You may read uh, their compassions. Um, Same word, just a different translation. It's, It's mercy and compassion in the sense of God feeling our need for comfort in suffering. It's a feeling of tenderness or affection. The literal translation that's often used in the King James Version of that word is, is bowels. And uh, that's a little odd, but we might say it's, it's a gut feeling or a gut check. Uh, the King James often speaks of God's bowels of compassion. In other words, the idea is there is a real sense of feeling. We often wonder, does God feel things? Well, Scripture clearly indicates that he does, 
And we particularly know things like Jesus Christ, who is able to be affected or to feel the feelings of our infirmities. So we get a, 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 a parallel here from these two sections. Back in verse number 20, we talked about our soul feeling things. We talked about our soul remembering and it, it affecting us deeply, the, the weight and the depth of our experiences. But here, God, in his mercies, in his compassions, in his bowels of tenderness, he feels that weight as well. Yahweh experiences the feeling of our weakness, just like the author of Hebrews put it about Jesus Christ. So there is a sense in which God feels with us in his compassion and in his mercies. And we notice here that they are mercies or compassions that never come to an end. They never come to an end. Have you ever dealt with somebody who has a total lack of empathy for what you are suffering? Have you ever had somebody tell you to, to just get over it? when you're really struggling. Now, I've experienced that, but more shamefully, I've also said that before to my wife, to my children. In that moment, I have no capacity to feel what they're feeling. But we read here that the Lord's compassions, his mercies, his tender feelings never come to an end. In verse 23, we read, they are new every morning. That is, each morning our soul may be bowed low again and again because of the same experiences. We might wake up one morning in a state of depression and sorrow because of a tragedy that has happened a long time ago. But each morning there to greet us is God's fresh and new compassion that doesn't say get over it, but rather meets the hardship with his steadfast, unwavering love, with his covenant faithfulness. Our compassionate and kind God gives us unwavering love, but he also gives us unending mercies, unending mercies. And of course, that is all topped off with this great statement of praise by Jeremiah at the end of verse 23, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Let's break that phrase down a little bit. Uh, the word for faithfulness is kind of a varied word. It's a broad word. It, it, means, it means varied. Uh, it means also sufficient. In other words, it can meet every trial we have. That's why Paul could say that in his trial that God's grace was sufficient for him. And it is sufficient for us as well. But here it is God's faithfulness that is sufficient that is varied. It can meet a number of different trials. This word for faithfulness is actually tied to the word that comes into our English as the word amen, uh, that word that we end our prayers with and that the, we end the, the doxology and some other hymns with. Uh, that word means so be it. Interestingly, this word for faithfulness is used only during and after the exile into Babylon. This is the kind of faithfulness in which Jeremiah could say and with which we could say as well, even in this, Lord, you are faithful. Or if we're looking back, we could say, even in that, Lord, you were faithful. 
God's love is unwavering. His mercy is unending and his faithfulness is undying. No matter the trial, we can look backward and we can look forward and we, uh, and we can look at our current experience as well and we can say, yes, you are faithful, you were faithful, you will be faithful. So for us, we can look back into 2020 and 2021 and other years and we can say, yes, Lord, you were faithful. And we can look at the relative uncertainty of this year and say, yes, Lord, you will be faithful. And we can walk in the midst, like Jeremiah was here, of any experience, good or bad, and say, right now, God, you are faithful. You are faithful. Unwavering love, unending mercy, undying faithfulness. This we look to and have hope. This is the God that we trust. And because that is true, we can say with Jeremiah in verse 24, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. What is this idea of the Lord being our portion? Well, we see it a couple other places. Psalm 16, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 73, verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 119, verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. God is our portion, which is more than just a provision. Uh, you could have a portion that still leaves you hungry, but God is our portion in that he is he is everything to us. He is our whole lot in life. To the soul that trusts in God, uh, we realize that everything comes down to us from the hand of God, even in the difficult times. And God is everything. He is our portion. We can hope in him. But finally, we see not just what we remember and what we cherish, but what we wait for. And we come to verses 25 through 27, which is the third of our set of triplets this morning. These three verses, uh, again, they all start with the same letter, and these all start with the same word in Hebrew. The word is tob, or for us, we see it as good. It is good. Do you see this progression? If you read all through chapter 3 up to verse Number 21, it's, it's all sort of bad, at least experientially speaking. It's, it's all mourning and it's all woe. But at the junction of God's unwavering love, his, his unending mercy and his undying faithfulness, the resulting response is good, good, good. That is, this is beautiful poetry, and that's what it is. It's Hebrew poetry, but it's also beautiful theology and truth. For God's redemptive work is always a work of bringing beauty from ashes. He would do that a number of years later with those exiles in the city of Jerusalem. And he does that with each person who comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ultimately will do that with all creation. As the whole creation now is groaning, ultimately one day that those ashes will be turned to beauty. And the lamentation, the mourning, and the woe that the earth has experienced will one day be good, good, good. 
First, in verse number 25, we see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. What does good mean? Well, here, this word for good means pleasant or merry. That is, God is God is pleasing. He is favorable to those who trust in him. And specifically, in this verse, those who wait for him. He is good to those who wait for him and also to the soul who seeks him. There's a parallel in that verse, those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. We could look at that a couple different ways. Uh, The first way is that we could see those as the same person. That is, the person who is trusting in God is also seeking him because he's everything. But we could also see it as as two different people. God is good to those who, who wait for him. And he is good to the soul who seeks him. That is the soul who has not yet learned that he is everything to them. In this, we could recall the words of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, where he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But there's something else here also. Uh, The last time we saw the word soul, it was continually remembering the bitterness. But this time... In verse number 25, the soul is seeking him, and it has found hope and the goodness of God in seeking him. In other words, God is good, or he is beautiful and good to the soul who seeks him. Beauty for bitterness, goodness for hardship. So God is good, but then in verse number 26 and 27, we see that, that we can do good as well. Verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What is one thing that we can do? Well, it is, it is waiting on God, waiting quietly for his salvation. Now, I'm not sure, I can't speak for you, but sometimes waiting quietly does not seem appealing. But this is not necessarily an audible quietness. In fact, the whole book of Lamentations shows us that it is, it's right and good to, to cry out to God. It's okay to acknowledge hardship and difficulty. The quietness here then is an inner quiet. It is a, a quietness of contentment, a quietness of expectation, contentment in the fact that God has placed us in a situation for a reason an expectation that we will be delivered in his good time. In this way, silence is not equal to defeat, but rather science or silence is equal to trust and confidence. You see, you can cry out loudly and not have this quiet confidence. And you can be quiet physically, but be at unrest and not waiting for the Lord within. But it is good that we Wait quietly and expectantly on God. He will deliver us in his good time. And finally, verse number 27. It says, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. That verse tells us that it is desirable to bear suffering early in life. Why would Jeremiah say that? Well, I think there are several reasons. Firstly, in the context of Judah, If you are part of a nation that's in judgment, as a young man, there is time to repent and see God's deliverance. And in fact, many people who 
originally read and heard these words would experience just that. Many people would turn once again and be delivered. Uh, many people saw God's deliverance uh, through Cyrus uh, in 539 BC. There was a sending back of people to, to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the walls and re-inhabit the city. Time wouldn't permit us to tell of, of young people who have experienced great difficulty in childhood but have seen God's hand of deliverance in their later years. So that's one reason why it is good to bear this in your youth. Another reason is there is strength to endure. The saying goes that children are resilient, and that is true. If it is your lot in life to face difficulty at a young age, face it with endurance and diligence, because God will provide and he will deliver in his good time. A third reason, and one that I try to keep in mind, is that there is great opportunity to gain and apply wisdom that will serve you and, your, and others around you for your whole life. Some lessons are learned over a lifetime. But in God's good providence, some lessons are learned almost instantly because of tragedy and hardship. Some people are subjected to things that give a lifetime of wisdom in a short experience of trauma. God is a God, again, of turning ashes into beauty, of redemption, and we ought not waste the days of difficulty that he gives to us. Rather, may we use them for his glory and in service of those around us. God is good. He is faithful, even in great difficulty. Yes, the people of Judah were facing this disaster because of their sin, but even in that was the promise of God's deliverance. And the history of, of our scripture tells us that, yes, God came through in that case. Even in their chastisement, there was hope. Uh, time doesn't permit, but if you read on in the following verses, you see things like there, there may be hope, and the Lord will not cast off forever, and he will have compassion. And I ask you, friend, what is it now that you need to cast into the lap of God's faithfulness? The last couple years may have been tumultuous for you. They may have also been very good also, I don't know. But in good or bad, in prosperity and depression, in richness and in poorness, may we trust our faithful God. We trust our faithful God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that though we remember tragedy, we can turn our minds to your steadfast love. Thank you that there is a promise to deliver. Even though we don't experience it instantly at all times, we do experience it in your good time. May we do the best to take advantage of the things that you give us, the experiences, the, the good and the bad, the tragedy and, and the joy, the, the blessing and the, the cursing. May we, may we use it to learn and grow, to serve you, because you have never failed. You never will fail. Your mercies, your compassions are new every morning. They never come to an end. Your faithfulness is great and varied. It can meet any difficulty. 
So because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, may we trust you the same each day. May we learn from our difficulties and our tragedies. And may we cherish who you are. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.